0: Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. I'm Bruce Barlow, and today we're going to look at Acts chapter 16 in the Bible. This is a day today to honor and thank God for the women in our families, in our church family, all those who are single, married, single again, those who are moms, those who are not yet moms. It's a day to honor and thank God. Uh, My wife, Christy, and I were reading a couple chapters this week in preparation for today, from the book, The Twelve Extraordinary Women. I uh, want to ask you to think this morning about an ordinary woman that you have seen God use in an extraordinary way. Ordinary woman ex- used by God in an extraordinary way. Who comes to your mind? And what is it about them that uh, makes you think of them as extraordinary? Extraordinary. Would you pause things right now in the service and talk about that together uh, as a group, whoever you're watching with right now? Good, thank you. Would you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16? This morning, uh, we're going to think about part of the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. So, uh, the team... That Paul is with are heading west through what we know today as Turkey. They've been in the provinces of Phrygia and Galatia, right in the middle of the country, and then they head west. And this is described in chapter 16, verses 6 through 11. As they head west, the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's the west coast so they're kept from going there. They come to the border of Mysia, the northwest part of what we know as Turkey, and they think, well, we'll just head north up to what was known as Bithynia, and we'll, we'll preach the gospel of Jesus up there. Whoops. No, they won't. The spirit of Jesus won't allow them to. So they cut through Mysia, and they come down to the coast to the port city, Troas, and it's there that Paul has a vision one night. And in the vision, a man of Macedonia says, come and help us. We're to notice in these verses, with all the place names that uh, don't make a lot of sense to us, we're to notice the directing role of the Holy Spirit. Opening, closing doors, orchestrating, where God was going to send Paul and the team to carry the message of salvation in Jesus. God is steering Paul's life and ministry. He's sending Paul to take the gospel to the frontier, to what we know today as Europe, a place that had never heard the gospel. God's call was clear. Blocking all those other ways, there was one way to go, and that was to Macedonia. All of us are called and sent uh, most of us in the church family have been reading the book Gaining by Losing this winter and into this spring. He remind, The author reminds us that where we live, where we work, our neighbors, our extended family, none of those are accidental. You and I have been steered by God, planted, placed where we are for a purpose. Uh, the only thing that remains to be determined is what we are called by God to do, what our vocation is going to be, but we are all called and all sent. If your life lately has included some closed doors and some detours from what you thought was the best plan, don't panic. These months of shelter in place and, and the changes in the workplace, these are times where for many of us it's felt like a detour or a change or How could this be what God wants? How does this fit into his plan? Don't panic. Uh, I'm sure Paul wondered what was up. He answered the call. What's with being blocked, being redirected? God is getting ready to do an amazing work in a town called Philippi. But that wasn't the original plan, wasn't the original itinerary. And so this passage, verses 6 through 11, make all of us ask the question, Will we let God call the shots and redirect our lives? Will we let God call the shots and redirect our lives? By the time we get to verse 11, there's some more place names. And what happens is Paul and the team get on a ship and they have a two-day voyage to get to the coast of what we know today as northern Greece. They go to Macedonia. So Dr. Luke continues his description of this part of the second missionary journey of Paul. As Paul, Luke, and Timothy, they have arrived after the voyage at Neapolis. And then verse 12 in Acts 16 says, From there we traveled to Philippi, about 10 miles inland, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days or for some time. Philippi had been a city for about four or five centuries by the time Paul and his team arrived. There was a Roman colony, he tells us, and that meant it was a place where retired Roman soldiers were settled. Uh, It was popular to retire there because a Roman colony didn't have to pay taxes. It was the emperor's way of saying thank you to his soldiers. It was the leading city of that district of Macedonia for several reasons. It was a city that was important historically. A famous battle had been fought there. It was a city that was wealthy. There were gold mines in the hills around Philippi. It was a city that was important commercially uh, because it sat on one of the main trade routes. So there was lots of commerce. And uh, it was a city spiritually that was like so many of the other cities that Paul and his team visited on their missionary journeys. Lots of gods, small g, were worshipped. So lots of temples in the city. Luke tells us, verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Why? Why'd they expect that? Uh, The thought is that there weren't enough Jews in Philippi to actually have a synagogue. You had to have at least 10 men uh, of the proper age to form a synagogue. And if you didn't have enough... Uh, they were told to find an open-air place near a river or the sea and make that a place of prayer. They would gather there for prayer on the Sabbath. And so Paul and his team went and found a place that looked a lot like this, the Ganges River right outside Philippi. I'm by Cherry Creek, but it's about this size, and they would have come to the, the bank of the river, and they found a group of women there gathered to pray. They'd go on the Sabbath and pray, recite scriptures. If there was a traveling teacher going through, they would hope for a lesson from him and then discuss it. And so Luke tells us, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And the traveling teacher at this time was Paul. And they sat and interacted uh, on that Sabbath day and saw God do an amazing work, particularly in the heart of a woman named Lydia. One of those listening at the Riverside was named Lydia. Who is she? And uh, I want to ask the kids, especially this morning, uh, any guess on why I'm wearing purple? Or why, like, on uh, this Mother's Day, the uh, the best kind of mask to be wearing today is a purple one. Or there's purple cloth behind me. Well, you're going to find out in a minute, the next verse. Uh, Any guesses? Well, one of the people listening was a woman named Lydia. And when you look at verse 14, it describes her. She is a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. Paul saw a Macedonian man in his vision that night, but it's actually a woman a Macedonian woman who is the first convert in Europe. God clearly directed Paul to go to Philippi. And at the same time, he is preparing Lydia's heart with spiritual readiness and has her at this place of prayer. She's not from Philippi originally. There have been a lot of uh, excavations. Some of the folks in our church family have been to Philippi and seen this. This is the market area where Lydia would have had her shop. She's actually from Thyatira, which is in the province of Lydia. So her name in Acts 16 is probably a nickname. She's not from Philippi. Probably the local folks said, hey, she's the Lydia lady. It was a statement of where she was from. Thyatira was a city there that had a large Jewish settlement. It's one of the seven cities to which God writes a letter at the beginning of the book of the Revelation. It's one of the seven churches. Now, the city of Thyatira was famous for making purple dye and for dyeing clothes. So we learn in a couple of verses here in Acts 16 four different things about Lydia. She was a businesswoman. She was a dealer in purple cloth. Why was that a big deal? Well, I brought with me a couple of seashells. Uh, being a dealer in purple was a big deal because it was really expensive uh, cloth, and anything used to dye it was really, really valuable. So there is a sea snail that would be uh, gathered... And it would take 10,000 sea snails to make one little batch of one gram of purple dye. It was so valuable that it was worth more than its weight in gold. So it was a big deal to be a dealer in purple cloth. It was a sign of wealth, very, very valuable. We look at it and think, how in the world to get purple from these? Uh, Kids, would you believe it's actually the slime left behind by a snail, that when the sun hits it, it turns purple? And they had some way of being able to gather that sun-baked slime and turn it into purple dye. I don't understand it, but it was worth a lot of money. Lydia was a businesswoman. She was an artisan. She makes me think of other women who are artisans in our church family. She reminds me of Holly Angle with her woven goods. Whitney Wright with jewelry. Uh, many who have worked with Mud Love or Beelove Love to, to create amazing things. Kate Mueller with her art business. And many who've had Etsy businesses. Uh, one person, I like the label, they said, Lydia and women like her are faithpreneurs. Entrepreneurs, business people, but based in their faith. Lydia reminds me of my mom. She'd always done the bulk of the work around the home, on top of having the primary responsibility of raising five of us, all five boys. Then, uh, when my parents separated and then divorced, She went into the workforce for the first time. I don't know how she did it. Uh, Five boys taking care of the home and working. A couple of mothers days ago, I asked her the question. I said, Mom, I'm embarrassed to even ask this, but uh, when they divorced, I was 15. My little brother was three. I said, I don't even know what you did with him when you went to work. Where did he go? Who took care of him? I was so, I guess, preoccupied with... My life as a 15-year-old, I didn't even pay any attention. I think it's an important thing today to to ask questions. How did you do it, mom? It's a great way to honor the work that they've done. It's a hard job. Every mom works incredibly hard. But then when you add to it, uh, moms who either have to go into the workplace economically or they choose to go into the workplace, that's worthy of honor, That's a tremendous load. It is hard work. Lydia makes me think of a ministry that started a little over a year ago, Women in the Workplace. I want you to hear about it right now. So I'm here with Rachel Jensen. Hi, Rachel. Hello. And we want to talk for a minute about uh, what has become a neat ministry in town, Women in the Workplace. And back in 2018, we had community grant ideas here at church and Gladys DeLow submitted the idea of women in the workplace. So I asked her some questions about it and asked her what the original dream was. And it was to have a monthly gathering for women who were in the workplace to uh, build relationships with other Christians, Christian women that were in the marketplace and to be inspired, equipped, and empowered to live out their faith. And it's been amazing over the first uh, year and a half, and they've had 50 to 60 women at most of the meetings, as high as 70. They've been a mixture of women in local offices and industries or not-for-profits. They've had a number of students from Grace College come be part of it. It's gotten off to a great start, and Rachel has been part of it. So uh, what are some of the challenges that as a Christian woman you face in the workplace?
1: I mean, I think there's a lot of challenges that women can face in the workplace, but some that come to my mind um, right away are just the fear of how we're perceived when we go into that workplace, um, relationships that are built. If we um, promote our faith too much, there's, there's risk of that being um, damaged, that relationship being damaged or distanced. Um, another one that uh, we face is sometimes there's restrictions or laws that are put in place of us being able to share our faith. I work at an elementary school and we're technically not supposed to share our faith unless students bring it up first. Mm-hmm. So I know we're not the only ones. There's a lot of workplaces that have that um, in place. So figuring out how to uh, recognize that but yet not live in, in hiding of who we are and who the Lord has called us to be. And um, that, that can be another challenge as well.
0: Yeah. Um, What's been helpful to you in being at Women in the Workplace?
1: I've met a lot of women this way that I never would have known otherwise. So um, that's been something first and foremost is just, there's been relationships that have been built from that. Um, The women that have spoken are so knowledgeable and have so much wisdom. Um, I've loved listening to their stories that they've, that they've brought to the table. And um, I normally, leave feeling like I have another tool in my tool belt to, to go out into my community or go back to my job and just have this new tidbit of information. We've talked about a lot of topics like um, diversity, we've talked about um, anxiety, we've talked about finances, even um, like freedom over what people think of you. So things that are really relevant to today, um, very practical um, in applying you know, when you go back the next day. So it's been amazing to
0: be a part of it. So you're all learning to be like Lydia. Yes,
1: exactly.
0: Christian businesswoman. (laughs) Um, Really excited to see what has become of this and glad you've been able to be a part of it along with a lot of other ladies. Mm -hmm. It's continuing right now. I guess even though we're in this shelter at home, there's a Facebook page and people are posting testimonies and asking questions and talking on topics. I Mm -hmm. think that's great as well. Lots
1: of knowledge on there, so go check that out. It'd be awesome.
0: Do you know what the Facebook page is?
1: Women in the Workplace.
0: So, Good. Yep. Check it out. Well, Lydia was a businesswoman. And the second thing we know about her is the phrase in verse 14 that she was a worshiper of God. We know she's spiritually minded because Paul and the rest of the team find her at this place of prayer on the Sabbath. But that phrase, worshiper of God, means something special. She's not a Jewish woman. But she is a worshiper. Sometimes the term was used a God-fearer. Probably as she's growing up in Thyatira, there are a lot of Jews living there, and, and it's likely there that she was first attracted to the whole idea of, instead of worshiping many gods and many idols, one god. She became a monotheist, one god. And was attracted to the worship practices the Jewish people. We assume that's why she was at the riverside with the others at the place of prayer. She was a businesswoman, she was a worshiper of God, and she had an open heart. The next sentence says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. God opened her heart. This is the way God always saves someone. We think of the decision to become a Christian and, be, and start following Jesus. We think of it as our choice, our decision. We make a decision to believe. But the truth is that whenever a heart is ready to respond to God, you can be certain that God has been drawing that person. The way Jesus said it to his disciples in John chapter 6, there's no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. A few verses later, he said, No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. God has to open the heart. That's because every one of us, before we come to know Jesus, we have a closed heart that is bent and broken by sin. All of us. Yes, even moms. The Bible repeatedly describes our hearts as closed, not open, unable to respond to God on our own. The, the person who's not yet saved, not yet forgiven by God, is in bondage to sin. Uh, Romans chapter 8 describes us as hostile to God. And it's not just a hostility and a being closed off. Paul describes it to the Ephesians as we are actually dead in our sin before forgiveness, before grace, before our hearts that were spiritually dead are then brought to spiritual life that happens because of God's work. Our hearts are closed and bent and dead, but God. He draws us to himself. He invites us. In James chapter 4, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He opens up the heart to believe. The heart that's been hard and resistant to God's love and forgiveness, he knows how to open it up. One person said, We don't reach down into our hearts and summon faith from within by sheer willpower. God is the one who opens our hearts to believe. Grace doesn't push sinners against their wills toward Christ. It draws them willingly by first opening their hearts. That's why we pray. We pray for those who need to know Jesus. We ask God to open up their hearts. If their hearts have been hard soil, we ask God to do just what our farmers are doing right now. Plow up that hard soil. Open the heart up. Open their eyes to their need for Jesus. Forgiveness. Salvation. We ask God to bring them to an end of self-reliance. We pray for their idols to fail them. There are many mothers today who are praying for children who have grown cold toward or walked away from God. And these moms carry a great burden, longing for their children to return to God. Don't stop praying. Persist in prayer, depending on God to recapture and reopen their hearts. And let me say a word to sons and daughters. There are multiple verses in the Proverbs. The warning, sons and daughters, if, if you bring grief, difficulty, hardship to your parents, it's, it's unwise. It's cruel. So if you've abandoned the faith foundation that they offered to you, and in order to pursue your own freedom or to be your own God, let me ask this morning, please come back. Please, ask your questions. Wrestle with your doubts. Tackle the things that that caused you to, to turn away or to walk away. And please don't buy the lie that it's too late to turn back. If currently you know your life is bringing grief, spiritual grief, to your mom because you've turned from God, this is an amazing day to turn back to restart, to reopen your heart. There's lots of talk uh, this past week about reopening church, reopening our culture, reopening businesses. The most important opening and reopening is of our hearts toward God. So, uh, Lydia, God opened Lydia's heart and she responded to the message. What was Paul's message at the riverside? Well, we aren't told, but we can infer it from what happens in the next few stops on this second missionary journey. Acts chapter 17 tells us what happened at the next stop, Thessalonica. Paul's message there was that he was explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. The Christ, another word for Messiah. And then Paul, two stops later, is in Athens, and his message there is, God isn't like one of your idols. He calls everyone to repent. Judgment is coming. And then his message in Corinth, we know he was there testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. That's his message. And Lydia responds to the message. We're told at the beginning of verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, Lydia believes, and so do the members of her household. Who are they? We aren't sure. Probably servants from her household. Maybe some grown children in her household. Whoever was part of her household, they responded to the message. And all of them are baptized as a declaration of their new direction in life as followers of Jesus Christ. Many people believe the household there is a reference, thinking that uh, there's no reference to Lydia's husband. So many believe that she is either a widowed or divorced entrepreneur, businesswoman. Her faith immediately impacted her home life and her hospitality. Lydia's heart was opened, and so was her home. Uh, Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Her heart was open and so was her home. So we know about Lydia. She was a businesswoman. She was a worshiper of God. She had an open heart and she had an open home hospitality. Hospitality is the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. My favorite statement about hospitality came from Sam Walter. Years ago, I went over to visit her and Jonathan at their home, and she said to me, uh, this was her statement about hospitality, if you want to see me, stop by anytime. You want to see where I live and have it picked up and cleaned? Please set an appointment. That's good. Hospitality. Generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, and strangers. So Lydia shows hospitality to Paul and his team. And think of this. This is Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and whoever else is traveling with them. And she invites all of them to come stay at her home to house the team, we assume she had a pretty substantial size home and she's now going to use it to bless the team. And I imagine she's pretty eager after the change that had happened in her life because of Paul's message. She wanted him and the rest of the team around so she could learn more, listen more to their teaching. There was a risk to showing hospitality. There always is. There was a risk for her. The next section of Acts 16 says that Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. Did Lydia take heat for inviting these new men, these strangers in town who were preaching about Jesus, for taking them into her home? Was there pressure? Hostility? Text doesn't tell us for sure, but we know if there was, she's acting on her faith, not fear. These weeks of shelter in place and all that's going on with the coronavirus have been weeks that there is plenty to be fearful about. And it's been a time, though, for us as followers of Jesus to be people of compassion and service and caring and people of hope. We are, like Lydia, living out our faith, not our fear. They apparently stayed at Lydia's house for a long time. Verse 18 tells us that the uh, demon-possessed woman in Philippi kept hassling Paul and the team for many days. We don't know how many days, but this wasn't just a stay of a night or two at Lydia's home. Her hospitality opened the way for the church to penetrate Europe, and the result was the church in Philippi. I know for a lot of you, one of your favorite Bible books is Philippians. Well, that's the letter 10 years later that Paul writes to this church that he loved so much. Her home, Lydia's home, became the center for Christian outreach and worship in Philippi. Hospitality. She had an open heart and an open home. What does hospitality look like in the days of shelter at home? I want to close this morning by having you think with me about how do you act in a way that's generous in entertaining and receiving guests, visitors, strangers at a distance in this time where we, we are to keep our social distance. Hospitality right now is the visits that you have across the yard or across the street. It's taking the initiative with neighbors as never before. And some stories are trickling in of folks in the church family interacting with neighbors in fresh new ways during these weeks and months. Good job. Thank you for doing that. One person said they've been down on the greenway walking and said, everybody's talking to each other. People seem to be more friendly than before. That's hospitality right now. Hospitality right now is the phone call The text you send, the note you send, the email you write to someone in the church family or to a neighbor. Hospitality right now is taking a meal or some cookies or a sack of groceries to a neighbor. The last couple of days, the care team has been taking another round of groceries to folks that are in need and just to encourage them. And we're grateful for the work the care team is doing and those that are delivering My hope in these days in terms of our hospitality is that uh, to whatever extent these weeks of coronavirus are helping us to take for granted a little less our relationships, to whatever extent these weeks are helping us consider the needs of others, look out for co-workers, check in with a senior saint. Uh, the impact of these weeks in our hearts in helping us to be more hospitable like Lydia, my desire is let's not go back to normal. This is a day to thank God for and to honor all the women in our families and our church family, those who are single, those who are married, those who are single again, all the moms and all those who aren't yet Moms, let's do a good job of honoring them today.
2: I want to thank you so much for joining us on this Mother's Day. We are so thankful for our moms today and every day. Well, the worship service is over, but there's still a lot happening today. I hope you've made great plans to honor the special women in your life, and I hope you've made dropping by Wendell Lake Grace Brethren Church a part of those plans. Actually, everyone is invited with mom or without mom to hop in the car and drive on down here for the WL Mother's Day drive through We look forward to seeing you, greeting you, even praying with you. There'll be a station where you can get a family photo with mom or for mom or just for the fun of it. Uh, because it's National Foster Care Month, There will also be a volunteer opportunity to make a donation to help foster parents. And then we want to give you a coupon, a gift card, uh, to get some ice cream for that special person you're celebrating today. And if you want, you can also pick up instructions for a WL Family Scavenger Hunt, which is a great fun game that we have organized for you and the whole family can do it. Or you can let mom have some peace at home while the rest of the family goes and plays this game together. You can do that uh, anytime on Sunday or Monday. Also, don't forget that this afternoon, starting at five, there'll be a mini concert by the No Name Quartet. That'll be available on our Facebook page and on our website. This afternoon, after five o'clock, No Name Quartet, that'll be available uh, for you to enjoy. Again, to keep on celebrating those special ladies in our lives. Next week, I encourage you to tune in again. I'm excited. We are starting a new sermon series called Rebuilding. And we're going to be taking a look at the book of Nehemiah and learning some biblical principles that will help when we think about rebuilding. I look so much forward to uh, next Sunday. And I thank you for joining us today. Have a great Mother's Day. You are sent.